0: Welcome to the Words of Wesleyan, a podcast from the Shapiro Center for Writing about the words and people that shape our community. Every episode contains two interviews, one with a student and one with a professor they nominate to appear on the show alongside them. We ask them to give a reading from a piece of writing which has been impactful for them, and then ask them three main questions. Why did you pick this piece? What role does writing play in your life? And how does good writing make you feel? On today's episode, we'll start by talking to Professor Hirsch Sani, an assistant professor in the English department and a coordinator of South Asian studies. Later on, we'll hear from Shlok Sharma, a sophomore at Wesleyan and one of Professor Sani's students. First up, Professor Sani.
1: My name is Hirsch Sani, and I am. Uh, a writer. I write fiction and nonfiction, um, and I've worked as a journalist, and I teach English and creative writing at Wesleyan.
0: Great. And what are you going to be reading for us today?
1: I am going to be reading um, the first couple of pages of The Buddha of Suburbia by Hanif Qureshi, uh, which was published in 1990.
0: Whenever you're ready, you can get started. Okay,
1: here we go. Chapter one. My name is Karim Amir, and I am an Englishman born and bred, almost. I am often considered to be a funny kind of Englishman, a new breed, as it were, having emerged from two old histories. But I don't care. Englishman I am, though not proud of it, from the South London suburbs and going somewhere. Perhaps it is the odd mixture of continents and blood, of here and there, of belonging and not, that makes me restless and easily bored. Or perhaps it was being brought up in the suburbs that did it. Anyway, why search the inner room when it's enough to say that I was looking for trouble, any kind of movement, action and sexual interest I could find, because things were so gloomy, so slow and heavy in our family. I don't know why. Quite frankly, it was all getting me down and I was ready for anything. Then one day everything changed. In the morning, things were one way and by bedtime another. I was 17. On this day, my father hurried home from work, not in a gloomy mood. His mood was high for him. I could smell the train on him as he put his briefcase away behind the front door and took off his raincoat, chucking it over the bottom of the banisters. He grabbed my fleeing little brother, Ali, and kissed him. He kissed my mother and me with enthusiasm, as if we'd recently been rescued from an earthquake. More normally, he handed mum his supper, a packet of kebabs and chapatis so greasy their paper wrapper had disintegrated. Next, instead of flopping into a chair to watch the television news and wait for Mum to put the warmed-up food on the table, he went into their bedroom, which was downstairs, next to the living room. He quickly stripped to his vest and underpants. Fetch the pink towel, he said to me. I did so. Dad spread it on the bedroom floor and fell onto his knees. I wondered if he'd suddenly taken up religion, but no. He placed his arms beside his head and kicked himself into the air. I must practice, he said in a stifled voice. Practice for what? I said reasonably, watching him with interest and suspicion. They've called me for the damn yoga Olympics, he said. He easily became sarcastic, Dad.
0: Thank you so much for that. That was such a great reading.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about why you picked this piece and what it means to you?
1: Sure. Um... So I read this book for the first time probably just after I graduated from college in 2001 it must have been the summer after I graduated from college and I at that point in my life had some idea that I wanted to keep writing and books and literature at the center of my life and and I had I had definitely read books that had moved me uh from across the world and uh, books that were stylistically and thematically interesting to me, but when I read Hanif Qureshi's *The Buddha of Suburbia*, I finally found uh, a literary voice that seemed to seem to kind of encompass all of the registers that were crucial to me. That that a voice that could that could be uh, serious and intellectual and could meditate on things like class and race and post-coloniality, but could also be youthful and funny uh, and and speak about growing up and, uh, and being a teenager and becoming adult uh, in a way that seemed incisive and honest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I hadn't come across that before. You know, I hadn't come across, I hadn't come across, um, hadn't come ac- you know, by that point in my writing life and my thinking life and my, you know, I, I had just kind of re. I had I, I started to embrace um, my being South Asian, um, uh, and I and, and literature had helped a great deal with that. Liter- um, and, and, and and my my parents, my past, um, my parents, my heritage, uh, you know, until I was in around eighteen, had been a source of shame and discomfort. Uh, And and, and books was something that really opened a door to kind of embracing these things. Um, And and, and there were a couple of books along the way that were meaningful, but then I read the Buddha of Suburbia and it kind of all clicked, you know, like like it felt like um, there was another uh, person who had had similar parents and who had had, uh, uh, who had struggled with the same issues around identity in a way that made sense to me. Uh, and 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 it just inspired me and motivated me and felt like i i could do it too then and 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 it made it made me it made thi- it made not, it made my personal life feel affirmed um and it made my creative ambitions also feel viable and possible mm-hmm.
0: yeah and what kind of role i know you said that like before you read the buddha of suburbia that you were into literature and you were into writing, but I'm wondering like what kind of role writing has played throughout your life? Were you a big reader as a kid and how does it developed into this thing? That's now your work and a great passion for you.
1: I I was at different moments in my childhood, a a great reader of, um, of fantasy uh, novels and science fiction novels. Um, And, and I think I, I, immersed myself in those types of books like series books with like you know nine volumes um like to deal with um parts of my childhood in which i was isolated um uh, you know not for any particular reason um uh but just you know parents working or or family traveling together to uh to see family you know to see the rest of our family in india uh, those books provided a lot of solace and escape for me um uh, a lot of companionship, um, and 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 when I was when I became a teenager, books were the things that like were the part of my education that 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 kind of affirmed my skepticism of all that was going around around me. You know, uh, not everything seemed or smelled right in my high school life in terms of class in terms of people's priorities um, in terms of the kind of uh super ambition superficial ambition that was driving both my peers and their parents um and, and 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 my my parents affirmed those perspectives to a certain extent and also my friends but it was literature really that that reminded me or um, and, and made me feel confident about doubting the values of those around me.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I hear you talking a lot about affirmation and being affirmed. And I'm wondering now that you're a professor and now that you're teaching other young people who might be in the same position as you were then, do you find yourself cultivating those moments of affirmation? Is that something that you hope to cultivate? Is that something that you've found that you've seen your students go through as well? Well, I think
1: you would be a better judge if that ever happened <laughs> in, 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 in in my classroom.
0: Um, I'm
1: really open to students uh, developing, you know, take taking what they need from the work and from the, from the reading and the writing. Um, and, and it's gratifying to see students develop Similar connections, uh, you know, to my own connections to literature, but that's not at all my my priority. My goal is to kind of set up the architecture and lay the groundwork for students to to forge their own path in the world of letters uh, and and to develop their own tastes um, and and whether and that that sometimes occurs by kind of borrowing from my sensibilities or or borrowing my vision of literature for a little while um, but I've seen you know I've seen my vision of literature um, you know send students in an entirely different direction and that that's that seems fruitful to me and I've also seen students yeah start to emulate things that I think and say about books or or uh, or, or draw on them and, and that's fine too um, uh, but yeah I just want to set people up and support them in, uh, in asking questions and experimenting and, uh, and finding meaning, uh, and inspiration from writing and reading.
0: Hmm. That's great. And I know Shlok, who asked to appear on this episode with you, you taught a class that he took India and the world. And I'm wondering like a little bit about what that class was about and what it was like teaching it. Um.
1: Uh, so that class um is it, it it's a class about this like a, the notion the kind of abstract vague notion of globalization um and uh and it basically it, it's an attempt to look at the way uh india has been depicted uh and represented to to Europe and America through literature and film. Um, uh, and, 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 it, and it moves backwards in time. It starts, you know, around now um, in, in, uh, or, you know, around 2015, 16, 17, and it goes backwards um, uh, through the end of the 19th century. Um, and and, and, and in, in the course, we just kind of look at like various consistent patterns, Uh, and themes uh, about globalization and empire uh, that seem to repeat themselves over again. Uh, We we look at the way identity is impacted um, as a consequence of empires, as a consequence of the merging and collision of cultures. We look at the way different type of nationalisms are born um, as a result of uh, empire, hegemony, imperialism—as as a result of people from different parts of the world exchanging ideas—and um, uh, the class is very meaningful to me. Uh, uh, Indian, you know, it's it's um, uh, you know, I'm a writer and and and, and um, I'm a writer of the world, but I, I am very much writing in the tradition of South Asian writing and in in particular Indian writing. Like you know, I I. I I, I wouldn't be who I am as a writer, reader, thinker, and educator had it not been uh, for my experiences of intensively reading literature from South Asia and, and also my experiences of living and traveling in South Asia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about what your heritage means to you and how it comes up and you see it in your own writing? Sure. Um well, you know, I think I think as
1: humans were were formed by you know different contexts, the context in which we're, we're born. Uh, so I was formed by suburban New Haven in which I was raised, but but you know I was also very fundamentally like all of us were formed by uh, my nuclear family, um, with whom I remained very close and was very close, and and both of my parents were immigrants, and they were shaped by traditions. Um, uh, that have you know much less to do with the northeastern United States. uh so as I grew older and, and started to think about my identity and started to write uh, and read, I kind of realized that in order to understand I realized first that to be a writer, um I needed to kind of understand where I was coming from uh, historically, uh sociologically and that and then, in order to do that um i I couldn't really uh constrain. Uh, my exploration to, to North America or to the United States because my parents came from another place. So, so thus began this quest to kind of understand where I came from through the reading of uh, of South Asian literature. Um, and, and I started off with a lot of the titles that are available uh, in, in, in bookstores and libraries and in college classrooms in the United States. Um, and then I realized there was like a whole amazing dynamic uh, canon of literature from South Asia that nobody knows about here and no one talks about uh, and and I and, uh, and and interacting with that body of work was an education for me and and fundamentally altered my worldview. Uh, and in fact, to, you know to circle back to the class I teach that class, a part of that class is to kind of bring those perspectives that are marginalized from mainstream, Political and literary conversations in the United States to the forefront.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, I think focusing too narrowly on this westernized curriculum and only including, even when you do expand out to a more global um, frame, still just including the same few books as representative of a tradition that is really expansive. I think it. Limits people's imaginations when they don't get to see the full view of what a culture and what a heritage has to offer.
1: I think that's true, but I, you know, and I think you know, even even when we don't think about East and West, I think limiting our exploration of literature from any tradition or space um, to like, you know, a, a curated canon um, like impoverishes our understanding of of literature and writing, and and, and thus of human beings, right? Um, because Oftentimes, the stuff that sits on the shelves for generations, or um, isn't necessarily the most urgent or vital stuff, right? Um, and or, or the stuff that's on the bestseller list or on the front page of the New York Times Book Review, um, you know, isn't necessarily the you know the writing that's going to to turn a person on or, or to alter a person's worldview or to you know to truly inspire and invigorate them. So reading widely um, and and, and reading things that are forgotten or ignored uh, in any space seems crucial.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just to close us out here, when you read these texts that feel really urgent, that feel like what you need right now to shape your worldview, how does that feel? Um
1: well, you know, to put it simply in a sort of hackneyed way, it, it literally makes me feel alive. uh, And, and I feel, I feel open, you know, my pores feel open and I, I feel, I feel youthful. And, and I, and I, I, and I reconnect with kind of a very hopeful sense of, of almost, you know, naivety or, or, uh, or, yeah, simply I, I, I feel open and, and, Hungry to explore and uh, and create. Now, even just today, I, I, I you know, I've been you know preparing for classes and, and and unable to leave the house because of the weather and just kind of stuck. And and I haven't really enjoyed a piece of writing that I've been uh, you know you know in terms of both the the writing and especially the reading. And and I felt kind of dead inside and finally this morning i i pulled a short story off the shelf uh that i hadn't read in, in a good six or seven years or eight or nine years that had that has meant something to me and i had the the space to sit down and really engage with it and everything felt possible again hmm. short story by roberto bolano
0: <laughs> thank you so much for that i think that's about our time um but i really appreciate you coming on the podcast it was great to talk to you
1: It was really nice to talk to you, too, Anna. Um, Thank you for giving me the time.
0: That was Professor Hirsch Sani, an assistant professor of English and a coordinator of South Asian Studies. Next, we'll hear from Shlok Sharma, a sophomore computer science major and one of Professor Sani's students. Here's what Shlok had to say about why he nominated Professor Sani. I was part of Professor Sani's class last year where we examined different South Asian texts and visual pieces and understood how to specifically analyze them in the broader context of Indian history and how we understand the country today. In that class, Professor Sani always made sure to push me both as a reader and, even more specifically, a writer. And he showed me how to think more analytically and rigorously about material I had taken for granted. Now, let's hear from Shlok Sharma.
2: I am Shlok Sharma. I am a Wesleyan student, a sophomore, and I'm studying uh, computer science right now, hopefully. Let's see how that goes. Um, But yeah, just an introduction for my piece. I can give that right now. So this is the, this is like the sort of prologue-ish type thing to a book that I really, really enjoy and a book that's been like a really big part of my childhood. And it's full of humor that I sort of draw upon a lot just to like feel better about a lot of things and that book is the hitchhiker's guide to galaxy to the galaxy and uh i just i love the book uh, i saw you smile at that so i'm guessing you know about that too um but yeah i just wanted to read the intro because that always puts like a smile on my face and uh when you had told me about this um about like you know what i had to do choosing a passage i i really thought that like this sort of There was something about it that really felt uh, useful for the time that we're in right now. Um, But yeah, if it's okay, I'll just go ahead and read it right now.
0: Yeah, go for it.
2: Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the Western spiral arm of the galaxy, lies a small unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose eight-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think digital watches are a pretty neat idea. This planet has, or rather had, a problem, which was this. Most of the people living on it were unhappy for pretty much of the time. Many solutions were suggested for this problem, but most of these were largely concerned with the movements of small green pieces of paper, which is odd because on the whole it wasn't the small green pieces of paper that were unhappy. And so the problem remained. Lots of the people were mean, and most of them were miserable, even the ones with digital watches. Many were increasingly of the opinion that they'd made a big mistake in coming down from the trees in the first place, and some suggested that even the trees had been a bad move, and that no one should have ever left the oceans. Then, one Thursday, nearly 2,000 years after one man had been nailed to a tree for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change, a girl sitting on her own in a small cafe in Rixmanworth, England, suddenly realized what it was that had been going wrong all this time and she finally knew how the world could be made a good and happy place. This time it was right. It would work, and no one would have to get nailed to anything. Sadly. However, before she could get to a telephone to tell anyone about it, a terribly stupid catastrophe occurred, and the idea was lost forever. This is not her story.
0: And that's it. That's
2: that's the passage that I really liked
0: that's a great one i'm a big fan of uh douglas adams um that's really awesome and very well read too thank you so much for that would you mind um just talking a little bit about why you picked this piece and what it means to you uh maybe the first time you read it as well absolutely yeah
2: so i so i first learned about this project right from that email that you had sent i think to all students or it might have been directly to our class and I just thought that like what is a passage that really encapsulates how I'm feeling? It was it was this feeling of, you know, whenever I'd read that when I'd first read that passage and I read it many times again, uh, I just got this feeling of like it was sort of nihilist, it was sort of funny, it was sort of fatalistic, but it was so lighthearted in a way, and it, it just felt so like weirdly philosophical, but but not self-serious. Like, I really like those kinds of things. I'm a person who I think a lot of uh, my friends and, you know, a great deal of enemies would criticize me as being, like, almost too uh, too jokey. Like, I make too many jokes and stuff. But, like, reading this book, I kind of understand that that's not too much of a problem sometimes. Like, sometimes it can be really good to just not take anything seriously. And, you know, This describes like a catastrophe, it describes like depression, it describes like existentialism and, and like, you know, the terrible effects of just like focusing on capitalism and everything. But, but you, you don't have to read it that way. You can read it as just like, you know, a funny person telling you a funny thing. And they're both right. And I, I really like that aspect of it. I, I kind of wish that tone was sort of more there. Um, as for the first time I read it, I, (laughs) <laughs> I think maybe it was out of a lack of, no, that's that's not giving him a lot of credit. It was definitely creative and full of effort. But uh, when I was young, my parents would do a thing, my dad, especially, where instead of you know coming up with whatever stories and everything, he would just tell me stories from a book that he really liked in the first place. And that was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is, I think, still the only four book trilogy that ever exists. And I'm really happy about that but he would just uh pluck stories out of it and you know tell it to me so as i was growing up through elementary school i would sort of think like wow he this is a really funny guy that i have as a father this is great <laughs> i read this book and i'm like oh this book copied all those stories how, how crazy <laughs> um but obviously he he told me and, and he is a funny guy but it was really really wonderful to just read this so i think the first time that i read it read it it would have been like fifth grade and i think i was just so addicted to like the the humor of it and it's really influential and really awesome it's influential on a lot of other things but influential on me for sure i just i i love it so much it's a it's a great book
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's funny how when you put humor to something like no matter how serious the subject it is, it makes it a little easier to cope with that, you know, to cope with these like 2000 years of world history. If you're like, Oh, they nailed some guy to a tree. It, it makes it a little easier to tackle.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I, I really, I really love the uh, the way that it deals with just a lot of topics without having to, you know, do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I love that story that you told about your dad telling you all those stories from the Hitchhiker's Guide. I'm curious, in your own life, have you done any writing? Are you a big reader? What kind of a role does writing play for you?
2: Yeah, it's um, a great question. I I love love reading and I love writing. I I always consider switching or you know double majoring in English because it's such a big thing for me. But um. Although, I mean, honestly, I think it's a big thing for everybody. I've heard people say they're not big readers, but, you know, if you watch movies or you watch television or anything, it's really hard for any of that stuff to be disconnected. And I, uh, I've i been recently reading a lot. I think, you know, the American, the current modern sort of Western curriculum does a great job of like taking out a love for uh, reading and writing when it like drills it. but I have gotten back into writing in full gear. I think over the past year, I just, I just, I set like a goal for myself for writing. Cause I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'll just try to write a ton. And, you know, it was more of like most of the stuff that I'm writing right now, I know is like amateurish and whatever, but you kind of have to get through a lot of that. And I'm really, uh you know, I'm still doing that and that's really fun. So I'm a, I love writing. It's a big thing. It's been a big thing for me. Uh, for a long time and uh reading reading as well i think uh stories are just so fun to to immerse yourself in and especially now i haven't you know read a good fiction book for a while because i just keep getting recommended like nonfiction books and recommended more of like how have you not read this already i don't <laughs> love that feeling so i'm just kind of getting through that first but but yeah i really need to get a good fiction book um So, yeah, yeah, it's huge for me.
0: Yeah. I know you said that you, um, so the person you nominated to appear with you on this episode is Hirsch Sani, and I know that you took a class with him, like, in the English department last semester. Was that, like, a place where you were able to read some good fiction?
2: Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, That was one of the sort of places of, uh, man, I'm always reaching for vocab words. I don't completely know (laughs) But, yeah, it's a great sort of uh, place to, like, get a great of books and everything. Like, there was this uh, recent Netflix movie that came out called The White Tiger, and that is based on a, on a, a novel written by an Indian American. Um, it was really good. And we read that in class. We read a bunch of short stories that were written by, it was predominantly sort of uh, South Asian writers. And... That was great. It was a wonderful class. Uh, the class was called India and the World. It discussed like globalization and everything and how that sort of affected uh, literature and media at that time, which was awesome to, to learn about. But yeah, it was a wonderful class for, for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're a comp sci major, and I think that there's probably like a stereotype that very techie comp sci people don't necessarily have a big overlap with the, like, very literary side of things. I I don't think that there's probably all that much truth in that, but I'm sure you would know better. I'm just curious about, like, as, like, a computer scientist, um, where you see the overlap with that in your writing.
2: Oh, That's a fantastic question. Um, I think as for the stereotype, Wesleyan does a really great job of breaking down any of that, I think, you'd sort of have about the the major but any major in general because (laughs) it's really hard to tell you know like oh that's definitely an econ major or whatever because everyone's so i don't know like wesleyan students are so different from each other but yet they have like such a similar kind of um i think philosophy about going through things and in, in a very good way like it's good to be similar sometimes when you when it's like a feeling of openness and everything so Yeah, and I know plenty of comp sci majors who are like heavily into like athletics or into theater or into like singing, and that's you know definitely not following whatever sort of stereotype there is. Uh, As for how that can blend into literature, that's also a great question because when you said the first thing about how like you know it's a thing about some comp sci students or some comp sci people aren't into literature, I think there's it's definitely possible that could be true but also sci-fi is like a huge uh like thing and i mean i should note that the passage i read is from a is it is this a science fiction book i don't really know like there's no real point being made yeah right but um this is still like a science fiction kind of like tone that a lot of people love uh so yeah and it should be noted that like my dad my mom we're all kind of like stem people and That doesn't really limit us from, like, choosing specific literature. Like, Asimov's a huge thing. Heinlein's a huge thing. And, uh, you know, uh, man, who is that guy? He's the person that wrote, do you know the movie Arrival? Um,
0: Oh, I know the movie, but I don't know who wrote it.
2: It was, so it's based on a story called, like, The Stories of Our Lives. Ted Chang, I think his last name is spelled C-H-I-A. A-N-G. Anyway, all that is to say that like modern sci-fi writers are huge as well. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think literature and stories and everything is in a way getting more and more uh, brought to the surface through just like Netflix and streaming and stuff. And people are like, oh yeah, I, I love this stuff. So yeah, it's a good question.
0: I know you said that you've been writing your own kind of stuff. So I'm curious about what kind of writing you do.
2: Uh, yeah, good question. Um, let's see. I've I'm really into sort of uh, fiction writing, and over the past thing, I've written like a couple of short stories that I've really wanted to go through. Um, some have been like sci-fi. One was like this, uh, in my mind, still a little clustered of like a political parable where it was like about cannibalism and everything, like ooh, you know. But. Uh, um, the biggest the sort of project that i was referring to was i really love screenwriting i i really want to sort of get into that if i can i like filmmaking and it's a far off thing but but one thing i wanted to figure out is like you know the ability to like come up with ideas and write them and everything and and not be too precious about anything and so i was like well how many weeks are there in a year there are 52 so i'll try to write 52 short films like that'll be my thing And Uh and it was fun. It was a lot of fun just to sort of get through it. And it also surprisingly didn't take that much time because I think once you start to go like, I just need to get something out, you just go like, Okay, this is an idea. I don't like it, and you can just wrap whatever around it and you're like, ah, there it is. And yeah, it, it came out of a I'm now realizing she's she was probably joking at the time and she told me later, but she was like, you know what? If it was a friend of mine, Ellie Randall, she was she told me like, hey, what if you just made like a film in a weekend? And I was like, that's a great idea. And so then she was like, I don't understand what you what you mean. And then, and then I wrote a bunch of them and I took it too seriously. Apparently it was a joke, but, but whatever. <laughs> and um, I've been recently trying to get into more long form uh, stuff. That's harder because it requires more like investment and you kind of, uh, I at least have the tendency to sort of like give up a little bit and so I'm trying to get around that hurdle but yeah yeah
0: yeah so I just want to close out by just asking you when you encounter a really good story and when you encounter good writing what's that like for you you know what does that do for you how do you feel
2: it it does the same thing um, that like a passage like this does where uh, I think the best thing that any sort of piece of writing can do or really any art is just uh, allow you to express something that you didn't think was possible or key into a feeling or like this emotional reality that you were like, it was kind of already there. But seeing it articulated is great. Like, um, a huge thing for me, I know we're talking about writing, but like painting as well is like, you know, cubism is a big thing where like, wow, that's crazy that you know different perspectives melded together and what that can mean you know writing like this like humor describing existentialism and all of that so it's it's just the emotional expression that you otherwise couldn't have it it's it feels like being heard
0: you know Mm. yeah i agree well thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today Shloka. it was great having you here
2: This was so, so fun. Thank
0: you. Thank you. That was Shlok Sharma, a sophomore majoring in computer science. Thanks for listening to The Words of Wesleyan. This show is produced by the Shapiro Center for Writing at Wesleyan University. It's hosted by me, Anna Cheltvate, and was created by Anna Cheltvate, Amy Bloom, and Stephanie Weiner. The music in this episode is Let Me Make It Clear by Professor Jay Hogard from his album Harlem Hieroglyphs. Special thanks to our guests, Hirsh Sani and Shlok Sharma for appearing on this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.